discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. Well, our 24-hour news cycle brings us face-to-face every day with images of so many around the globe who are hurting, battling hunger, modern-day slavery, oppression at the hands of groups like the Taliban. It breaks our hearts. But for so many of us, there's the reality of the question. We're one person among billions. What can we really do? Today, we'll meet a remarkable woman whose heart was captured by a little girl in Kenya in a moment that would totally change her life. Today, Becky Murray and the global ministry she founded called One by One operate orphanages, safe houses, and rescue efforts across the globe, bringing great hope amid staggering tragedy. And Becky joins us today via Zoom from the mother country of Great Britain. It is just the absolute best to be talking to you today, Becky. What does England look like this weekend? Sometimes the sunshine in, in England is almost like fake sunshine. So it's sunny and bright when you're driving, but it's still freezing outside. Whereas today is a rare, warm day, so I am loving life. That is lovely. And I know that you were in the United States uh, for a good bit of time recently. So you're back in the United Kingdom today. I'm back home, yes. Home sweet home. That's lovely. And I can't resist uh, because we are Anglophiles on the program. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're at on the sceptered Isle of Great Britain and what surrounds you? So I am originally from Yorkshire, hence my very northern tones, Um, but I'm currently living in Staffordshire. So if you had a map of England and you had a circle in the middle, I would pretty much be right there. That's amazing. That's amazing. I feel like that's the sort of thing that conjures up images of William Shakespeare could just walk right by you at any moment, although (laughs) he would be very elderly and people would would be surprised to see him. Yeah, it would be a little bit scary if he did because he died a long time ago. But I do have cows living in the field across from my home, so I could have cows walk straight past me or sheep sometimes as well. So very British where I live. Oh, that's phenomenal. Well, we're so glad to have you here today. I mean, really... The jump off point, I guess, would be to just explain this incredible organization one by one that you have founded that's active all over the world. Maybe just start. There's so much that you do. Introduce us to sort of a day in the life. If we could just come and and take in a day in the life of one by one, what that might look like. (laughs) Okay, so we run children's homes and safe houses. So I've got a huge children's home in Kenya where I also, it's almost become a village within the village. So there's a uh, elementary school there, there's a high school there, there's a church, there's a medical center, there's homes for teenagers, as well as the big home for our small children out there. And then we run safe houses across Pakistan for kids that we've rescued out of slavery. But if those two projects don't keep me busy enough, (laughs) we also run an initiative called the Dignity Project, which helps girls at risk of human trafficking. So even today, I was talking with a guy who lives in Canada to organize a new dignity project going out in Kenya. Meanwhile, I'm speaking with Pakistan because we're doubling the size of our safe house right now, literally this week, um, because we're taking in 30 more children before this Christmas. So it's chaotic, but if I'm brutally <laughs> honest, I wouldn't have it any other way. Oh man, it's, it's a remarkable, remarkable ministry. It really is. I wonder when we look back at your story personally, you always wonder, Something that 
is built like this that is so huge with such a reach. You personally, is this something that you were always drawn to? I mean, in terms of your background, were you aware about these issues pretty much growing up your whole life or was there sort of a formative experience that really drew you to this? Great question. So I guess, if I'm honest, a combination of both. So as a very little girl, my mum would often tell me, as a three and four-year-old, I would look at her and say, I'm going to be a missionary in Africa. <laughs> now, I don't have any missionaries in my family line, so it's not like, oh, well, my granddad did it, so I'm going to do it. It wasn't a case of that. It just wow. came out of nowhere. Well, I say out of nowhere. If I'm a big believer that as God made us in our mother's wombs, that was far more than just the flesh and the bones. I, I mm. honestly believe it's almost like the fingerprint of God as he was shaping and molding us. He was implanting his plans and his purposes right there wow. upon our lives. Um, so as a little girl, I was adamant and very bold. I'm going to be a missionary in Africa. Um, but then you know what it's like as you get older, you have your own dreams for your life. And so as a teenager, I actually wanted to become a lawyer. I wanted to be a solicitor or something like that. Um, but it was on a short-term missions trip with my local church that I had a life-changing moment. And it was 2006, and I was out in Sierra Leone. And I met this little girl living on the streets. Her name was Felicity, and she was just nine years old. And I noticed she just didn't have any shoes. So I took her to the marketplace and bought a little pink pair of flip-flops that would have cost me, I guess, in the equivalent of dollars, it would have been 70 cents, so not even a dollar, uh, to buy these flip-flops. Anyway, it wasn't some huge act of generosity. It was an insignificant moment or so, I thought. Then that evening, she approached me and she she approaches me with this huge smile because for the first time in her life, she's wearing shoes. Mm. And she turned to me and she said, Becky, should I wait in the hotel? So I said, no, we're literally just going. We were doing this big gospel campaign. So I said, you can travel with us. Come and hear all about this Jesus I've been telling you about. And she turned to me a second time and said, yes, but shouldn't I wait in your bedroom? Mm. Now, if she'd have asked one of the guys on the trip or my husband, I would have known what she was asking, but here was a nine-year-old girl. I was in my early 20s at the time, and I remember thinking, no, she couldn't be possibly asking me what I think she is. So I asked her a third time, and sure enough, she thought that I had spent 70 cents on her so that I could have her body. And in that moment, I was so angry, not at Felicity, but at the injustice of, being a street girl living on the streets, she'd been so abused by both men and women that her little mind would go there for the sake of a pair of flip-flops. And I determined in my heart right there, I will give my life to this. Even if it's only ever one child, I'll give my life to this. And so that's actually why we called the missions organization One by One. Man, oh man. Powerful story today with Becky Murray. She's the founder of the global ministry One by One and the author of the memoir, Embrace the Journey, today on the road for Faith Radio. So you get this huge heart to do something. And I know that that moment is so powerful. But at the same time, when you have a heart to do what you do, the problem is so huge. The issues are so vast. How do you begin to get over that moment of just, I'm only one person, what can I really do and take the steps that brought you to founding one by one? 
Great question. I um, I often describe it because there's so much need, like you say, wherever you look in the world, even look across America, look across England, you don't have to go out to Pakistan or Kenya to see needs. Um, and so there's so much needs in the world that you don't always know where to start. And I describe it as holding a teaspoon in my hand and attempting to empty an ocean of need using a teaspoon. Mm. And it can feel so ridiculous yes. and so insane. But every time I'm tempted to become overwhelmed at the sheer need out there, I bring it back to the one. And so thankfully through one by one, we're now reaching thousands of children. But every single time I take a new child into our, one of our safe houses, it's like I'm rescuing Felicity over and over again. And when I bring it back down to the one person in front of me today, I can impact that person. And it, it stops me becoming overwhelmed at the sheer amount of need if I bring it back down to the one. And that's pretty much what Jesus did in John 4. He stopped for the woman at the well. But in doing so, a whole town came to know Christ. And that's right. our same heart. Right. Oh, that's a lovely way of thinking about it. Thank you for that very much. You begin to tackle so many needs. Your first project, I believe, was building a home in Kenya. How did you decide what need to tackle first and what led you there? Well, I'd had a promise of a children's home that I'd carried in my heart from the age of 18. But then the day I met Felicity, I describe her as my non-negotiable moment where sometimes we've got dreams and promises from God and we're willing to run with them when everything's wonderful but when life's challenging or difficult, the temptation can be, I'm going to lay down the dream just to survive, and then I'll pick the dream back up in time. And the problem is, time goes by, and before we know it, decades have passed, and we've laid down the promise God gave us years ago. So the day I met Felicity, she was my non-negotiable moment of, I have to give my life to this. So a few years later, it was literally three years later, I went out to Kenya Again, it was a short-term missions trip. Through these years, I was just navigating the heart of God. And I went out for a short-term missions trip and very much felt prompted of God that now's the time to look for land. And so I shared my heart with a pastor there, and he actually gave me a very small plot of land. It was just a field at the time. Um, and so there it was. I was given my piece of land to build the first ever children's home. And if I'm honest, at that point, I thought that was it. I thought it was only ever about one children's home. And that's the beauty of serving Jesus. I think sometimes he gives us bite-sized portions. If God told me all that he longed for me to do, I think I would freak out and run. <laughs> but he gives me a day at a time, just faithful today, obedient today, saying yes to whatever his plans and purposes are today for my life. And so I said yes to the children's home in Kenya. We started with 42 kids. We now have over 200 in our home and school there. But additionally to that, reached thousands through the village through Sunday school. But it was that that led us on to the next journeys of running the Dignity Project, which helps girls at risk of human trafficking, simply because girls on my doorstep were going missing. And then it was that initiative that led us to Pakistan, where the big work is now going on. Yes, I want to talk about Pakistan uh, for most of the duration of the rest of our conversation. You also, I believe, have a program for widows in Sri Lanka as well. Definitely. Could you tell me about that? 
So we met hundreds of widows who had been uh, widowed due to the long civil war out there. And they literally described themselves as the forgotten people. They said when the war first ended, all these aid agencies came in, but they left as quick as they came. And the media is very quick to move on. So although everybody else has forgotten about the civil war in Sri Lanka, for the people living there, it's very much still raw and real, the consequences of that. And so all these women were left uh, without husbands and still had young children to support. And so we launched sewing centers. We have seven sewing centers now across the north of Sri Lanka, where we assist ladies to set up their own micro businesses so that they're able to provide themselves and their children through their own businesses. That's amazing. And that is this incredible, sustainable model of doing this right that gives people ownership and gives really an opportunity to not just that one-time charitable encounter but something that's a last a lifetime exactly that it goes back to the the same old saying from years ago you can either give a man a fish or give him a fishing rod and with to empower people uh to help themselves and so we engaged in relationship with these women. We started with a feeding program just so that we could get to know them. And through that, we saw many of them turn their hearts to Christ. They were previously Hindu and Buddhist ladies, but they're now Christians. And then after building those relationships, we knew, okay, now's the time. Let's help them step out for themselves. So seven sewing centers later, we've now helped almost a hundred widows to start their own businesses. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. That's so amazing. Becky Murray with us today on the road, founder of the global ministry One by One and the author of the book, Embrace the Journey. So we're just fascinated by this ministry that you have in Pakistan and the home that you've built there for children who've been so badly treated by this brick factory system. Can you take us inside what that is and how it drew your attention? Of course. So I went out there for what I thought was going to be a one-off trip just for the Dignity Project. So as I say, that's an initiative that helps girls at risk of human trafficking. And we've reached almost 20,000 girls with that so far. So I went into Pakistan thinking this was just another one-off trip for the Dignity Project. And um, we were able to reach 1,100 girls, which was incredible. But then as a result of that, on our last day there, they took us into a brick factory. Now, I'd never heard of brick factories before. My only background and knowledge about slavery was from the angle of human trafficking, which is everything's covered up because everybody knows it's wrong. And yet here I was, I walked into a brick factory and it was the blatantness of the slavery that took my breath away. I was allowed to walk through and meet hundreds of families trapped in bonded labor. So I remember meeting this one family and I said, okay, tell me a story. How are you here? And they said, well, 13 years ago, we were a newlywed couple and my wife became pregnant with our firstborn child. And everything was exciting until she went into labor and complications arose and it became apparent she needed an emergency cesarean. The C-section surgery would cost $150. The problem was he knew if he went to a bank, firstly, he'd probably be be declined because he's a poor guy. But secondly, it would take too long to process the loan. And he needed the money today to pay for his wife um, in order to save her and his unborn child. So he did the only thing he knew to do. And he took a loan from a brickmaster. 
Well, they paid for the surgery. Mom and child were both fine. Baby delivered great. The problem was 13 years later, I'm now looking at this couple and their now teenage son, who since that day have had to work every day, seven days a week in the brick factory, working 14 hours a day, making bricks to pay off a loan of $150. Mm. I remember saying, my gosh, $150 and you've worked 13 years to pay that back. I mean, surely you've paid it off by now. To which you replied, no, now I owe two and a half thousand dollars. I said, how? And he said, the interest rate on the loans are so extortionate, it's impossible to ever pay it back. Wow. And what he didn't know is that it's also then passed on to the next generation when he dies. So his children will now inherit that. So that means his whole family lineage for generations to come, all they will ever know is slavery unless there's a miracle. So you see this situation and it's another, <laughs> there's so many times I would think this if I were in your shoes, but you see something so massive like this and you obviously want to help. What are your thoughts about how, how you can step in and meet a need in this situation and what do you begin to do? Well, in my Western mind, my initial reaction was, you know what? I can start a GoFundMe page and see this family rescued today. Sure. Two and a half thousand to them is impossible. But to a Westerner, we, we can do that, right? Yeah. And so that was my initial reaction. And when I said this to them, the, the translators almost smiled at me as if, oh, naive Western girl. And they began to explain for a blood relative, they will pay that amount to pay it off. But for an external person coming to redeem a family, they would be charged double, triple, quadruple, whatever to outprice them. Because the reality is the slaves are worth far more to the brickmasters than the value of the loan itself. Mm. They also began to explain because a lot of the people we're working with are second and third generation slaves. That means they've been born into slavery. So these people have never had any education all they know, know how to do is make bricks. So if by some miracle they are released, they're going to go out into what? They can't get a job. They can't gain any employment. So they can't buy a house. They can't eat. At least in the brick factories, they've got a shack that they call home. And if they make their quota of bricks, they'll eat that night. And so we realized quite early on, that's not going to be the answer then. We need to have a long-term strategy that will include education. And so initially we launched our safe house. We started with 39 children back in May, 2019. Um, and then by the end of this year, we'll have 85 children that we've managed to get completely out of slavery. So they're now having full-time education. And my heart's desire is that they will go on to gain employment, pay off the debt at the actual blood rate, so the correct amount, and then also sustain their families out of slavery because they've got a genuine employment. Mm. But until then, there's still hundreds more trapped in these brick factories. And that breaks my heart every day. And so we made a promise that until we can get these people out, we will go in. So we now go into 50 different brick factories, reaching over a thousand children with Sunday school every single week. And for these kids who have never had any education, the first things that they're learning to read and write is Bible scripture. Wow. Um, so that's incredible and powerful. I have absolute heroes as my staff who are doing this because they've had death threats. 
they've been beaten, they've been chased away, because this is a strong Islamic nation, and this is on a brick factory. This is not no church service. This is right there on the enemy's backyard. And um, but do you know what? The gospel shines brightest in the darkest places. And to see God bring hope, even in the middle of current desperate situations, is just such an honor and a joy. Wow, that is an incredible, incredible story. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that and for the courage that you and your team have to do what you're doing with the dangers that are inherent in that. Uh, Becky Murray with us today. The organization we're talking about is One by One. She's also written the book called Embrace the Journey. There was an opportunity that a portion of your team had as well to go across the border uh, from Pakistan into neighboring Afghanistan, I understand recently. What was the genesis of that trip and what did they see when they went there? So my husband actually went out to the very north of Pakistan in January 2020. And um, we heard there was a lot of needs up there from children that had already fled the Taliban. And um, so my husband went up there. Even just getting there was interesting. He had to be smuggled in the back of a car, uh, wearing a disguise, even just to get into that part of Pakistan. Because there's a lot of Taliban people even in that area they're not just in Afghanistan and um, my my husband met um, two little girls who'd been living in a bathroom their parents killed by Taliban and they ran for their lives because they knew if they were found they would be forced to become child brides and so they were aged just nine and 11 years old and when our team found them they were hiding in a bathroom they were living in this public bathroom and that all they were eating was what the local bakery were throwing out. So stale bread and out-of-date cakes is what they were living on until our team have managed to take them in. So we've got a second safe house right in the north of Pakistan, which so right on the Afghanistan border. We've got another little girl, a five-year-old, who was caught in a bomb blast, and she survived the bomb blast only to see her father shot by a Taliban soldier. Mm. And so she's also now in our care and in our home uh, But because we're right there on the border, um, now obviously we're reading all the reports about what's going on in Afghanistan and the fact that an entire nation can now be led by a terrorist group just astounds me. I will not get into the politics of it because that's above my pay grade. But what I can do is give a voice to the voiceless out there and the children that have fled the Taliban and the families that have fled the Taliban I can speak on their behalf because our team are firsthand working with people. Even this week, we've helped three families who have fled the Taliban. There was one couple who had uh, two little children. There's another couple and she's eight months pregnant and then a third couple. So we've managed to get shelter, clothing and food for these people. But the big task is now getting them the right paperwork because they've literally ran with just the clothes on their back. So even in order to get them UN help, we now need to get documentation in place for them. Oh man. Well, it's great hope in the midst of so much heartbreak. That's really what you and your organization are all about all over the world, Becky. Let's go ahead and let folks know where to go to learn more and to step alongside you if they feel the nudge to do that today. The website is onebyone.net. That's onebyone.net. And it's got the details on their efforts in Pakistan, Kenya, now with Afghan refugees, as well as Sri Lanka, and so much more. 
You can get Becky's book, Embrace the Journey, there as well, and the proceeds go directly to the work that they're doing. And Becky, I just can't tell you, it was just the absolute best to have you here today. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for sharing your incredible story with us today. A pleasure. So lovely to meet you, Ryan, and I would be honored to come on anytime again in the future, so feel free to keep in touch. Thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of Faith Radio's On the Road. For more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes, look for On the Road when you visit MyFaithRadio.com. You're the hope in the morning. You're the light when the night is falling. You're the song when my heart is singing. singing